The Tampering Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. You can do the sport tickets uh, on this app, and it's it's great. So, like, you're in Boston tonight. You cannot wait to see the Cleveland Cavaliers play the Boston Celtics. You go to Game Time app, and it, you get the last-second deal. The prices just fall through the floor. You can walk right in, sit on Kevin Love's lap, I think, um, and so that would be great. You know, you can also do concerts uh, on there, and um, I wish I had had this app. Uh, of course, everybody has it now, but I, I wish I had had it during the playoffs last year, Sam. Um, I was heading to Denver for, for Game 7, of the uh, of the of the Nuggets and the and the Blazers, and I flew in on a Saturday and um, nothing to do on a Saturday night. And uh, what what do you know? Eric Church was playing, and uh, I end up having to pay a scalper basically to get in uh, and paid a bunch of money for that. I mean, th- this is the very idea. It's last minute tickets. Ticket prices drop. I could have grabbed the ticket, walked right in. Would have been great. Absolutely. That's the idea. The Game Time app, Joe, is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the Game Time app in the Google Play or App Store and score last minute deals on tickets up to 60% off. What's up, John? What's up, guys? Hey, John. Johnny K. What's up, my friend? Not much. What's happening with you guys? Is your jersey tucked in? <laughs> it is not. It's untucked to to thumb my nose at the powers that be. All right. More importantly, are you wearing pants, John? <laughs> <laughs> I am. They're sweatpants, but uh, right. so they're it's loosely uh, can be described as pants. But right. yeah, not anchorman style here. <laughs> no, no, we're not. We're not going pantsless yet. I can if you want. No, that just got weird. <laughs> <laughs> I can see you like because on game night you got your little vest and your little tie and the jacket. I could see all that with no pants. Little. Why, why do you gotta say little? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I'm not. You know, I'm not. I'm not the biggest guy, but yeah. Why do they gotta be little? Like I'm a Christmas hey, elf hey, or hey. something. That is not what I mean. Into tampering accusations. And the message to executives in the league is stop talking about players on other teams. What did I do? The charges filed. Impermissible contact. Is right or wrong? Tampering charges are really difficult to prove. You know me, I talk. <laughs> awkward to even talk about it. I can't even mention deans anymore. That's what I like to put in coming around. The trial you want with tampering. They're always ahead of the rules. Is that what I'm just saying? Hey, we tamper with the guys. I didn't tamper. I'm just telling you what happened. I'm just telling you what happened. Hello and welcome to Tampering at the Athletic, your Inside the NBA podcast. We are back again. I am NBA insider Sam Amick here, as always, with Joseph Varden on the East Coast. Joe, we have a good friend with us on the show today. We're going to get right to it because he is ready and waiting. The one and only John Krasinski coming out of Minnesota. John, hold tight. I need to hear Joe's thoughts on life and hoops and all things 
in between. How are you, sir? I'm great. I'm fine. Uh, hey, hush. He said he wanted to hear from me first. <laughs> oh, we're Jeez. off to a good start. We're off to a good Who's start. Who's the sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thank you. Oh, good. And Jade's good. Jade Hoy is here as well. Jade, nice <laughs> to hear from you. So, I, so you know, the, the wolves are on this amazing trip. Um, one of the craziest things that you'll ever see at the end of a game happens Friday night. And then, of course, uh, last night they're in L.A. They get to play. They play the Lakers. Um, John, though, has more important things. Um, John had to have birthday cake yesterday, so he has missed this entire trip. Ooh. Ding, ding, ding. That's right. How old, John? Number, 80, number 88 for my grandpa. So, um, nice. Is there a more you know. upstanding guy than John? <laughs> I know, well, right? God. Depends on the day. <laughs> Just Made a, his way from the charity foundation over to Grandpa's uh, birthday party. Just a damn Stayed fine in guy. snowy Minnesota instead of going to L.A. and Phoenix uh, for wow. my grandfather. How it's about a, that? Good, That's pretty good. How was the party? It was good. Yeah, you know, it's uh, we had a nice little brunch with him. Got him back to his apartment, opened some presents, and just uh, enjoyed some family time. It was uh, very, very uh, nicely done and. Uh, you got to take advantage of those when you can get them. So. Now, it, full disclosure, though, I mean, we love to kid with John. He doesn't just do Timberwolves. Um, Jack of all trades writes Vikings, writes uh, Minnesota Gophers. University of Minnesota. Um, you know, yes. when they blew it against Wisconsin, John was devastated. I mean, they had to pick him off the floor of the, of their, <laughs> the press box. But row the boat, right? That, do they still? Does he still say that? Oh, that absolutely. He says it, PJ Fleck. Um, but yeah, I, all, the only thing I was devastated about was I was eyeing up a trip to Pasadena over the New Year's, and that would have been uh, very, very nice. But um, so yeah, when they kind of laid an egg in that in that one, it was a little disappointing that way. But it's all about me, Joe. That's what I'm thinking about <laughs> most of the time, for sure. Well, John, it is it is all about you, and, and we got to get to this quickly because we got to it off the air. Uh, we need to know, uh, in, inquiring minds, investigative reporting, is your jersey tucked in as we sit here speaking? <laughs> as as, uh, it is not tucked in. I'm trying to uh, – Delay of game. Yep, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to, to thumb my nose at the powers that be and damn the man, and it's my little silent protest for uh, – the, the entirety of this podcast. I like it. I'll let Joe pick it up here, but the quick context, if anybody somehow missed it, Friday night in Oklahoma City, uh, tight game between the Wolves and the Thunder. Uh, Chris Paul, who takes such a hilarious six sense of pride in knowing the rules of the game and, and really anything better than you. That's kind of Chris's personality, and it, it all kind of came to a, a, an epic head when Chris pointed out, uh, why am I forgetting whose jersey it was? Jordan Bell. Jordan Bell. Who else? Uh, Jersey was. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you of all people. Yeah. I know. Uh, Jordan Bell. I don't know if he, uh, you know, put any candles on anybody's hotel yeah. rooms on this road trip. I mean, you personally uh, stapled his nuts to the wall last year, and now you. Easy. Hey, I've been I've been mending fences with that camp. Let's just move on here. It's it's been poor Jordan. He got to run through the ringer on that. But yes, Jordan had the jersey out. Chris points it out, gets the delay of game call. Uh, next thing you know, we got free throws, we got overtime, and and Chris just kind of shrugs and essentially says, "Ah, that's the rules. What do you want?" And uh, I don't know if you saw John. Did you notice the the follow up last night? In the, oh, uh, I saw it absolutely. Uh, I can uh, tell you, everyone in Wolves Land saw that one. That's well. Tell, sure. Then you tell the story. Take it from there. Tell the people what happened, and and then and what's your you know what was your your insight? 
Yeah. So, I mean, so one game after, you know, Chris Paul is doing the Eddie Haskell, you know, what, what, you know, these are the rules. This is, <laughs> you know, this, this is what you play for. I just Old guy reference. Nobody knows who Eddie Haskell is anymore. <laughs> um, you know, he does that. So then the next game, the Thunder are playing against Portland yep. and the, Chris Paul is whistled for two delay of games and, and just flies off the handle about it basically and says, you know, tells the ref for who's calling the delay games. Was that, it the same you know, ref, John? I don't think so. I'm not sure though. Okay. Um, but he did because they because Scott Foster was the one who called the Jordan Bell technical, right? Um, and which is juicy in its own right because of Chris Paul and Scott Foster. Yeah, they have a lot of history. contentious history. Um, but then this last one last night uh, in the in the uh, the Thunder in Portland. And he gets whistled for two of them. Chris Paul does, and and he barks at the ref after the second one. You know, you're going to be on Sports Center tonight. Good job. You know, kind of a very pejorative um, clapping of his hands and basically saying, "Look, you're just no, you're going Chris by Paul? the letter of the law. Yeah, you're going by the letter of the law here." And to his credit, he was asked after the game about it and said, "Well, I guess you know they, they got me back." For this one and and so he you know he kind of understood that you know there's a you, you give and the take there but um i can tell you that uh the wolves were pretty pretty incensed about the the way that that all went down in oklahoma city they had come back from like 10 points down in the fourth quarter to take the lead and then that that technical foul you know get puts the the thunder back within reach of course carl anthony towns makes a free throw he should have missed and and they get a hail mary to force overtime and all of that they had plenty of reasons to blame themselves selves but to have that call at that moment uh there were some very unhappy people in minnesota about that yeah it was a total mess uh a total mess of a game i mean carl anthony towns um I, I mean, what do you want to say? He, he screwed up the end there with the two free throws, uh, missing the first one, making the second one. That was the one thing you couldn't do, um, and it just kind of opened the door to have this ridiculous, absurd thing happen. You know, while you were talking, uh, I'm almost sure that Scott Foster was the referee who looked right at David Blatt and did not uh, and did not call the timeout that David was trying to call in that mm. uh, playoff game against the Bulls. Um, and and the Cavs are out of timeouts. That would have been the end of the game. That would have been – that would have put the Bulls ahead 3-1 in that series. Um, you know, you usually don't come back from that. I mean, history changed on that. And, and I, I'm almost sure that Scott Foster uh, was the referee who looked right at David and didn't do that. So it's – I don't know what to make of that. So, so he's a stickler now. Is that what we're saying? I, I, it, it seems like it. At least in that moment, he was. And I, I know that there are plenty of people across the league who have had their issues with him in the past. I think the league does look upon him favorably as as a as a quality referee. I mean, you do see him in big spots in the playoffs and things like that. So there clearly is a belief within the league's uh, front office or within the league office that, that he can do a good job. But, um, you know, I mean, in that moment for sure to, to not, and here's the other kind of crazy context that surrounds that specific call of Jordan bell 
on the delay of game. He's coming back into the game. He his his jersey is untucked. Chris Paul is pointing and telling Foster, "Jersey untucked, jersey untucked," and Foster calls the 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 delay of game and the technical. But at the moment when he calls it, Stephen Adams and like they're the only one who is actually lined up and ready to play in that moment is Chris Paul because they were going to shoot free throws. And, um, and so, I mean, all of the Thunder guys are sort of just coming out of this, this timeout or lingering near the sideline. No one is ready to go. It wasn't like we, everyone was waiting on Jordan Bell to get in there and tuck his jersey in and get in the game. I mean, it was just kind of a, of a relaxed sort of atmosphere at that moment. And so for, for Scott Foster to apply that rule, which technically is right, and he is technically has that that the rule book to lean on there. You just you you never see that that you application. That. You just you you never do. And so um, yes, the you know Towns should have missed the ensuing free throw. They should have defended the hail mary pass better. They should have played better in overtime when they like, like they got blown up like seventeen to five yeah. in overtime to lose. But that specific. Uh, technical there, uh, it, it just it never happens. So it it was. Uh, I mean, that's pretty abs- surprising to see. It, it's absurd. Yes, it's not that totally. it never happens. It's it's absurd. It's yes. also and I, John, I mentioned this to Joe before we had you on off air. Is it's just so perfect. We need to to hone in on Chris Paul's personality. And again, I think the hardcore fans know what we're alluding to. If you don't, it's, it's listen, you know, wildly smart guy uh, knows the game like the back of his hand, loves the game, constantly talks about how he's just happy as long as he's hooping. And to be honest, that seems to be true even in OKC where we thought he'd be miserable. Um, the other side of Chris is that not only is he insanely competitive, but he has this kind of, uh, this habit of making sure that he knows more about, you know, as much as many things as possible than you, than whoever it is, his coach, his teammates, the opponent, all of the above. Uh, I told Joe this quick story and I don't have all the details, but it, the heart of it is this uh, a couple of years back, Chris was in one of those uh, early season meetings where the referees come in and they want to talk to players and coaches about points of emphasis and to essentially get on the same page as much as possible going into the season Chris is somewhat notorious in the past for being, you know, challenging them quite a bit in these meetings and in fact, testing their basketball knowledge, you know, asking them, the the refs, uh, specific questions about play calls, about, you know, basics of X's and O's basketball type stuff to, to, you know, it's two things he thinks to, to basically make sure they know what they are talking about and respecting the game in the kind of way that, that that essentially like makes it appropriate for them to govern the game. Uh, but I think anybody in the room would say you're potentially just trying to embarrass a referee in that type of a setting. And, and that type of a vibe and knowing that, you know, that a Scott Foster type has probably been in a room privately where he has seen, you know, Chris carry himself in this kind of a way to have it then happen in real time in a, a crucial situation on the floor and have this, to me, this peer pressure element where because Chris is sitting there applying pressure saying, Hey, that's, that's a rule. And, and you guys tell us about rules and that's a rule. And that it, you know, probably felt like middle school all over again, you know, for Scott when he just goes, okay, fine, I'm going to blow the whistle. And then there you go. Yeah. That's, I mean, and, and that just adds to the deliciousness of last night in Portland as right, well. Like, right, right. I mean, so, okay, you, you want it when it benefits you and, and when you think it can give you a chance to, to extend this game, but then when it is 
kind of thrown back in your face and, <laughs> and inflicted on you. It's like now you're you're saying it's just a ref trying to to have a ref show and, and be a star on Sports Center. And so right, right. I mean, but but that is Chris Paul. He's unapologetic about it. This is the way he has always been. And he's always going to push that envelope. The 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 key is to not take that bait. And a veteran referee like Scott Foster being baited into something like that was pretty surprising, to be honest with you. I mean, they talk about uh, like Kyrie's old teammates talk. They they say like the killer version of Kyrie. They call it untucked Kyrie. Um, yeah. Like I can't like I can't pinpoint an exact moment in history when he was out there with his shirt untucked, like like dropping jumpers on people, but. It just it feels like it happened, and it's so common oh, that I've that's seen what it. they yeah so yeah yeah I have to what yeah. are we doing like I'm sorry <laughs> yeah. what are we doing yeah. here <laughs> if you take well, no, the untucked it. version of Kyrie's career away is he no longer a future Hall of Famer I think that's <laughs> what we're we're getting into. But, but I mean that's the thing guys is like Jordan Bell was like literally just checking in and walking onto the court <laughs> like. Like, yes, his jersey was untucked because he had just been pulled and thought the game was over. Towns was at the line. They were up two with or, or they're up three with um, with 11 seconds left or or no, they're up three. It's like one point one seconds left. The game was over. And then he's he's brought back in for rebounding. But uh, so he's just coming into the game. He's just getting onto the court and and he gets the delay of game like it. He didn't even have time to to walk up near the block, which was on the other side, the, the the hoop that they were shooting at was on the other side of the Wolves bench. And he could have tucked his, his jersey in on his way to, to, uh, to the other block. And he didn't even get that chance. Like, it was immediate. As soon as his first, his two shoes hit the playing surface, it was a, it was a delay of game and attack. And, I mean, just mind-boggling. Uh, that that you that you you are that quick with that trigger, and it just threw everything into chaos for the rest of of regulation there, and the wolves end up taking an L that is costly for them. I mean, this Absolutely. is a team that wants to be in the playoff mix. Yeah, that has kind of been surprising, and 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 is hanging around there. They're on a tough road trip. They have the Lakers coming staring them right in the face. They dropped a tough one to the Mavericks. The uh, two nights earlier, and they had really rallied back. Towns was phenomenal in the fourth quarter, completely took it over and and brought them back from dead, and they were going to get a huge win on the road, and then this all happened. John, hold that thought for just a quick second. We got a little business to do here and excited to do it. Do you ever wonder how to get the hottest new sneakers, the ones that barely hit the shelves? The answer is StockX, a revolutionary new marketplace for buying and selling 100% authentic sneakers, streetwear, watches, and handbags. So with StockX, I mean, listeners to, to Tampering Now, they know they know that I'm a sneakerhead, that it happened because I started covering the NBA. They know about my Justin Timberlake-inspired Air Jordans from StockX last Christmas. I wonder what's going to wind up in my stocking this year from StockX. Um but Jade likes when I do this, when I tell a little story. So I've, I've got kind of a racket going. The, the NBA, they, they give a, uh, like a present, I guess, to all reporters who cover the finals every year. And last year, they gave gift certificates of $50 to the NBA store. 
Now, on top of that, we also get discounts from our NBA media credential uh, at the store. I think it's up to 30% off. It's a, it's a, it's a big cut, whatever. So between that, between that gift certificate and the, uh, and, and, and then the, the, uh, discount. I have an idea that I'm going to go to the NBA store in New York. I'm going to go past all the clothes that we can't buy because we can't endorse any single team as as reporters. And they have a wall of shoes in the basement at the NBA store, and they're they're sweet. I mean, they're they're vintage Jordans, um, you know, back from the '80s. And uh, and so I go in there my last trip to New York, and I point at one pair and like, I, do you have that in nine and a half? Five minutes later, the guy comes out. No, okay. Well, I point the next pair. No, so we go all the way through, and finally, I'm like, "Do you have any shoes in this store that are nine and a halfs?" And he points to a couple pair of Paul Georges, which again can't wear because he's playing currently. And I'm like, "You know what? Screw it. I'm going to go to StockX. You know, that's where I can get my Air Jordan One, Fearless, UNC Chicago's, uh, maybe a you know." You, people know I'm a big Air Max guy. I can look for a pair of Air Max 95s. I can't get it done at the NBA store. I can get it done at StockX. They carry nine and a half. I like it. Absolutely. StockX will get it done. StockX has, Joe, an exciting offer for the athletic listeners. If you use the promo code BBALL2019, that's BBALL2019, for $20 off your next purchase, you can also visit www.stockx.com slash bball for more information. John, we're going to spin it this direction. We want to circle back, and I want to talk more about that team that you see so much of uh, with the T-Wolves and talk about Cat and Andrew Wiggins, whose season has been very interesting. But we wanted to uh, to first go down this road. We're going to have some heavy coaching talk on this week's uh, tampering episode, mainly because Joe and I, like we mentioned earlier, I think, had both written about it this week. Joe had a really good piece with our Sham Sharania reporting on the Cleveland Cavaliers situation and, and how the friction of their locker room had come to a head uh, recently. And those guys did a great job reporting that. Then John Hollinger and I got into a bunch of other coaching situations, looking at Chicago, New Orleans, uh, uncomfortable in both those places. And then the futures, and this is not a hot seat thing. This is just, you know, looking down the road in Houston and San Antonio and then New York, which now obviously has Mike Miller as the interim coach after they fired Dave Fisdale. So all things coaching, you, you've done some great work in the past on on Ryan Saunders. And, and so, you know, we can skip past Ryan because even with this tough stretch, they seem to have a positive dynamic and, and their program uh, is going well. But but Joe, let's kind of let you kick it off here. You you and Shams had that good piece uh, and we're going to make the, the rounds with this carousel coaching wise. But uh, what did you learn there and, and, and kind of, you know, where do you think that situation goes? Yeah. So listen, the Cavs stink. Okay. Um, they're five and 16 or five and 17. And really for all intents and purposes, they are where most people kind of thought they would be. So it, the story was never about the losing for one. They're in a rebuild and like I, I don't want that to be the crutch for that team and that organization and say where, where the answer to absolutely everything they do is what do you want from us? We're in a rebuild. That's not fair to fans and to players that they're paying a lot of money to play. They need to be better. They can't be getting beat by 30 and 40 points. But when you're in a rebuild like this and you have the roster that they have, you are going to struggle. So – it isn't about the losing. Um, 
what you are seeing though is a culture problem that runs pretty deep um, and and that is why we ultimately decided to publish this story because when you're when you have a team that's five and sixteen of course the players are going to be pissed of course they're going to be upset with the coach for one thing or the other um, that makes total sense but but when we we had been actually here, both of us, Shams and I, and, and maybe you guys as well, had been hearing rumblings about this for weeks, even when the Cavs weren't so bad, when they were 4-5 and five and off to a decent start. Um, you started to hear some things about John Beeline's quirks. He, he's come to Cleveland from the University of Michigan, a 27-year career, all in college. This is his rookie year as an NBA coach. And you were hearing about these quirks, about the sort of like overzealous fundamental stuff at practice, um, very regimented, uh, extended film sessions, kind of really drilling down on these things. And the players um, outwardly were kind of shrugging it off or saying, yeah, you know, it's it's quirky and different, but we need it and look, we're winning. Um, and then a bomb went off and they've lost i don't know i think 11 out of 12 maybe or 12 out of 13 it's it's real bad whatever it is it's 12 out of 13 and they're just getting blown up all over the place and so because of the losing the 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 quirks and the traits from john now are rubbing everybody the wrong way to the point where i don't believe that his coaching is getting through and that's not that's not my opinion really this is coming to me and to us directly from multiple players uh it's not one player it's not two players it's not an older player it's not a it's not a rookie it's not a ring winner it's it's it is top to bottom um the same sentiment coming through and and that is why we decided to write this because in a rebuild where you are trying to develop to develop these young players and see what you have and develop a culture where whether you, whether you draft a guy or you sign somebody as a free agent they come in to your town knowing that things are going to be a certain way okay that that's what Kobe Altman wants he said he's want that wanted that for years um, they kind of think they have a chance to build that now so that's what you want right but if the coach in year 1 already is losing the locker room like players are suggesting um, obviously that's not a culture builder so that's why we wrote it let me follow with this. Um, you, you highlighted how deep the reporting was. And again, this is not third hand. Uh, this is coming directly from the locker room. Then the natural follow is what was your reaction to Tristan Thompson's spirited response to the story? And to paraphrase, you know, Tristan, you know, our, our Cavs beat writer, Kelsey Russo, did a, a nice job breaking down some of the reaction. And within that was Tristan essentially saying that if you in the media are telling me, that this was coming from our locker room, from players, like, you better give me those names right now. And he said, he goes, I'll pull up on them. Like, so he publicly claimed that he's upset. Um, the cynic in me then, uh, you know, naturally, and listen, full disclosure, I do have, I have no idea who Joe's sources are or Shams is on this story. I have no intel on that. So I'm, I'm in the clear here, but I'm sitting there thinking, oh boy, Tristan, it's doth protest too much, man. You, you sound like you're really pushing back so hard that I'm sitting there wondering if, if he was one of the guys, but for him to take it the way he did, how did that hit you? Yeah, I mean, this is a hard th- this is a hard question for me to answer because obviously, with a story like this, you want to um, you want to give everyone the same chance at, at an- anonymity because it was it was provided. 
what I will say is um, I really appreciated uh, the, the way that, that Tristan responded to that. Obviously, I have known him personally for six years, I guess. Um, and, and sometimes when, when you write it, when, when a story gets written, like for, I'll give you an example. Um, Frank Isola, uh, our colleague, years ago wrote that the Cavs were about to trade or tried to trade Kevin for Carmelo Anthony. And it was true. Uh, at some level, that that story that story had legs. The Cavs were trying to do that, um, but of course they denied it to the to the heavens um, because the trade didn't happen. And um, you know, Kev like they needed to protect Kevin and, and needed to kind of circle the wagon. So you had LeBron up there calling Frank Isola trash. Um, and so, right, you, I remember so, that. so you get like even like you know, like, I mean, I've written some stories. Where like I know I'm exposing something and I know who my sources are, but then you worry if because they don't want their name to be – like like they, they don't want to be associated with it. They come out like LeBron did that day and call you trash when you're, all you're trying to do your job. Um, so so I, I just want to say that, that Tristan didn't do that, um, that he came that he came out. Uh, he didn't say that the report was wrong, which, you know, I mean, like whoever was talking to us, like you can't you can't deny a story like you, you can't deny a story about people like coming to reporters and telling them things like you can't you can't say that that someone didn't say that because you don't know. You don't know who it was. Um, so I, I appreciated that. Uh, I, I thought the way he handled it with um, he kind of said, if that is Coming from my teammates, I'd like to know who it is. I thought that was fine. The thing that I had a problem with, um, but it's a you know, problem in quotation marks, is when he said he was trying to explain the, the dynamic about how players look to assistants. I thought he went way overboard on that, and I thought he was not fair to Ty, who he is very close to. Um, I thought he was not fair to the dynamic when Ty was the head coach in Cleveland. Um, he was the boss, okay, and and like Larry Drew, yeah, was his main assistant and and called some of the offense. And so, at times, guys would look to Larry Drew, but Mike Longabardi was the defensive coordinator at the time and had a hard time um, with the players. Uh, and so, for Tristan to suggest that anybody was looking past Ty to to some of those assistants during that time is just not it's just not true. Um, it absolutely happened, absolutely, when David Blatt was coach. They right. looked right past him. And um, like if you go around the league, like is Brad Stevens getting looked past by the point guards? No. Um, is, is Does that even happen? Does that happen in, with the Clippers where Ty is actually the lead assistant? No. Uh, <laughs> they're not. I mean, if Doc, you know, Doc's the boss. I mean, does Pop get, get looked past? I, I, I don't I don't think so. So so this is like I don't want to make it a bigger deal than it is, you know? I mean like they're they're young, they're figured out. If John stays, if he chooses to chooses to for the whole contract, I'm sure he'll figure it out. Um but but to kind of be tuning him out already in favor of the lead assistant who does have NBA experience whereas John does not. That that is that is telling and it is a reason we wrote it because it is different from the norm. 
Yeah, no, all, all good points. Uh, where do you think, you know, to what end, I guess, would be the next thing? It's one Now it's been revealed, uh, now it's been discussed, and those dynamics are going to be impacted to a degree from there. You know, if you're handicapping this thing, can John get some of that locker room back? Does it require, you know, the, the roster overhaul that is probably coming down the line and the idea that you do have a bunch of vets in there who have got money on the line and free agency coming up next summer? Does you know, do the faces in that room need to change? Where do you think it goes? Yeah, I mean, I think yes. Yes to everything you said. Um, yes, he can do this. Yes, he needs to change more. He needs to adapt to the culture of the NBA, which, you know, you, you still got to learn it. Um, yes, they're going to have to move some pieces. Um, and it's fine. I, I mean, like you you want to – you, you want to build – uh, you want to build something with younger players who have older guys that they can kind of latch on to and learn from. But for a second year in a row now, with older players who have won, this team is still a total disaster. Um, it wasn't like that for the first 10 games, but it is now. And um, and so, yeah, you know, you, you just got to be clear-eyed about it. You got you to move some guys, and, and, and you just got to be bad for a while. And, and they, they were ready for that. Um, I think even the players were ready for that, but they were hoping like, you know, 10th, 11th, 12th bad, not getting not getting beat by 47 bad. Yeah, I looked it up. Their net rating is 29th or just a shade behind the Knickerbockers for worst in the NBA. Uh, it's not pretty. Um, you know, the, the themes there that we've seen time and again every year is, is, you know, the combination of personality of the coach, personality of the players, status of the roster – um, expectations versus outcome is the basic calculus that every team and every coach is dealing with. Uh, there's different versions of that with all the, the things that we got into. And, and we're not going to go through the five teams, you know, in the story that John and I reported on. I'll probably say the most pressing, interesting one to me, and feel free, John, to chime in here too. I mean, because you know the, the lay of the land in all these locker rooms is New Orleans has gone from, you know, the feel good story of the summer. They, Going back to June, they do the Anthony Davis trade. They get a, a great haul with Dave Griffin coming in as a, a knock it out of the park hire to run their front office. Uh, Griff does the AD deal, does just gets tremendous return from the Lakers in that trade, gets lucky in the lottery and gets that top pick, gets Zion Williamson. And they sold a boatload of season tickets based on you know hope and optimism that at the time seemed completely justified fast forward to the present tense and we haven't seen Zion all year with that meniscus injury uh, and it's a little bit like the Cavs situation in terms of and it's a it's a loose thread but I think the thread is this that they understood that not having Zion and then losing Lonzo Ball for a long, a long stretch with a, an adductor injury was going to impact the record and they were going to lose but all of a sudden it's just they lost by 46 the other day to Dallas. Uh, it was ugly. So then you get into that same conversation about being competitive. Uh, what John and I are being told at the time is that Alvin is most likely safe. Uh, he's very well thought of by ownership. Gail Benson gives him a ton of credit for the graceful way that he handled the AD saga last season. Uh, that factor is in his favor. Uh, he has a long history with Griff from Phoenix and, and Griff has said as recently as last month, he kind of highlighted the work that Alvin did when he was the head coach of the Suns back in 2010, getting that team to the conference finals. And he's trying to basically channel that version of Alvin Gentry eventually with this team. The last one that, you know, 
follow the money type thing is they still owe him another year for more than $5 million. And the idea of the Pelicans cutting that check to make a change seems extremely unlikely right now. So I don't see Alvin going anywhere, but, but not a comfortable situation out there as long as they're struggling. Yeah. And he was, I mean, prior to the change to Griff and even, I think even prior to AD really kind of putting up the, the signals that he wanted out of there and that this was going to happen, you, you did hear whispers about, you know, kind of the shaky ground that Alvin might've been on from time to time. But I do think that the way that he kind of conducts himself in difficult situations probably gives him a little bit stronger foundation than, than other coaches would to get through those times. And yeah, I, I think I'm kind of encouraged in what I see with the way that Griff seems to be handling this because it is unfortunate right now, just given all of the injuries, it really is hard to evaluate exactly what kind of a job Alvin is doing. And the other part of it is I do think that there was some expectation that with all of the new faces that they brought in, that this was going to take a little bit of time to come together. Now, nobody thought that they would be getting waxed in some cases like they are right now um, on, on, a, on a night on occasional nights. But um, I, I just think that he has enough equity and credibility that he is going to get as much of an opportunity as he, as he can to succeed there. And it's just too early to say, you know, it, it, it is the coaching, the real problem there. Like that's, that's, that's the seem to be the way that I'm reading it. No, I'm with you. And the injury thing is huge. Um, I don't have it in front of me. I believe they are second in the NBA in games missed due to yeah. injury. You know, the Warriors are, are certainly first lapping the field with, with Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and those guys. I have it in front of me. What do you got? Uh, yeah, it is. Uh, these two uh, enterprising reporters wrote this this morning. Um, we have uh, 81. <laughs> well, this one relocated to the family room to get a, a refill on coffee, so I'm not in front of my computer anymore. Oh, Go my ahead. God. Uh, let's see. We've got 81 man games missed for the New Orleans basketball Pelicans against 134 for the Golden State uh, Warriors. And the Pacers of the uh, great state of Indiana are third at 73. Yeah, that's that's all the Oladipo factor. Um, so it's legit. I, I do think it's funny because we we started reporting this thing late in the week, and, and we were going to go very hard on the idea that Alvin is safe. And then we said, well, let, let's go ahead and roll this story out on Monday because you know weekends are a tough time to drop a story like this. And then lo and behold, in between, they just get boat raced by Dallas, and 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 I'm having to send a few more texts out and kind of check in going, all right, I don't want to drop this thing and then have them fire Alvin on Monday um, because you guys know that's pro sports. Things can change very quickly. So um, those are the dynamics there. John, we didn't want to keep you all day. And I told you, though, I, I did want to uh, to circle back. We need to talk some T-Wolves. And for the folks out there who might not be all that interested, I, I'd, I'd say you, you might want to pay a little bit of attention because it's not a, a mainstream high profile team that we typically spend a lot of time on. But these guys, even with this stretch where they are losing games and it's a bad run, um, for me, they're a lot more interesting this year. Just watching these two young premier talents uh, with Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, you know, continuing to essentially try to maximize who they are as players. Now, Cat has been an all-star for a while now, and, and it's just a matter of where is his ceiling. Um, I want your thoughts on Wiggins because 
the numbers still look pretty darn good. You got an uptick of about six points per game in scoring. A uh, good percentage overall around, you know, plus 45 for a wing is a good number. Uh, the, the three ball is not improved. It's still in the 33 range. And, you know, I'm sure he hopes that gets better. Uh, rebounds up a little bit. Assists up a little bit. We've, he's never been the most versatile player. But his impact certainly appears to be a lot more and, and, and to a degree more consistent this year. What are you seeing there? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one thing that they looked at as they sort of started this new and latest rebuild in a franchise history full of rebuilds um, is, you know, you have Gerson Rosas at the top uh, as president, Ryan Saunders as coach, and they kind of went about this and started this summer really not knowing what they could expect from Andrew Wiggins at all. And I think that the previous two seasons that Wiggins had put together in, you know, coincidentally in the first, you know, two seasons of his, of his max contract, um, it, it, they were just so underwhelming and, and you just looked at it and you said, man, um, this is going to be a sunk cost for a long, long time. And, and it was you know, to the point this summer where even as they tried to gauge the market on most of their guys and see what kind of an appetite there would be from other teams uh, for for all of their guys, as as any new regime will do, they just found that Wiggins had no value whatsoever. No team was going to take on all of the years remaining left in his contract at at the at the heft that was for the production that he was putting out on the floor. And so really they kind of just tried to roll up their sleeves and say, we kind of have to try and make this work um, because he's not going anywhere anytime soon. And their shortest path from completely irrelevant at the bottom of the Western conference to at least a fringe playoff contention was to find a way to get through to Andrew Wiggins and kind of unlock, some of the physical gifts that he clearly has. And so what we've seen from him early this season is some success in that area. And it really does all stem from him really being put into the primary playmakers role. Um, with the starting lineup now, they moved Jeff Teague from starting point guard to the second unit. And Andrew Wiggins is essentially a starting point guard right now. And, so that puts the ball in his hands a heck of a lot more that that helps to avoid the big chunks of time that we saw from him in the past where he would just sort of float on the perimeter and kind of disappear while Jimmy Butler or Derrick Rose or Carl Anthony Towns or or any or Jeff Teague or any of these guys really kind of went to work and Wiggins would just float and you just wouldn't even know that he was out there. Now the ball is in his hands a lot more. He really did do a lot of work this summer on his handle so he can actually mimic a point guard's ability to get into the lane and drive and dish and find people a lot better than he could before. And I think that's helped empower him a little bit. Um, he's taking much better shots in terms of, you know, he's not making the three ball a lot, but he's taking more of those and has eliminated the contested 20 footers that he loved to kind of jack up. Um, in the, you know, later in the shot clock, he's gotten rid of that. He's going to the basket more as well. And, you know, as you alluded to Sam, he's, he's rebounding a little more. He's pat, he's, he's picking up more assists, even on a team that really can't shoot the ball very well. So that's impressive. He's running the pick and roll a lot more. So he's just, 
he, he's what about, just really more engaged and he looks more like a player that could eventually be a fringe all-star candidate. Um, which you is tweeted, uh, you know, for sure. You tweeted the other day just about uh, almost more of a body language type thing that he yeah. had upset about a certain play and you, you didn't remember seeing that from him in the past. Are, are you seeing a, a change there? Yeah, definitely. Just in his demeanor, um, he is he is kind of getting upset at officials sometimes, and you don't want players to go over the edge with that, but you do want to see some emotion. And one of the things that I think really frustrated fans in particular um, as they watched Andrew Wiggins was like, does this guy really care? Is there any kind of a fire inside of him? He looks like he just is too cool for school all the time. And even when he is struggling, is he taking it personally? Does it matter to him right. whether they're winning or losing? And he's diving on the floor for loose balls more. He is kind of, you know, really kind of expressing frustrations with officials. He's showing a little bit more emotion. He's never going to be Rashid Wallace out there. He's never going to, you know, just be wearing his heart on his sleeve. But you do see just the the blood pumping through his veins a little bit more um, lately. And I think that is that's, that's important for him. He's got to be able to show, you know, these fans and really these players and coaches that, that he takes this personally and that he wants to win and, and that he cares about it. And I think that's starting to shine through a little bit more. That loss the other night, man, I just, (laughs) it's it's sticking with me and I, you know, we don't need to talk about Chris Paul anymore, but for, for a team that's going to be eighth, right. Or pretty much, I mean, seventh, eighth or ninth, like, you know, it's cliche, but these games actually do matter. Oh, big time. And God, that was just a devastating, devastating way to lose. Um, you know, they, they played the Lakers last night and, you know, they, they got close there for a while. Um, the Lakers look fantastic. And um, they're, you know, LeBron got to Gordy a, a little bit. Uh, tell us, John, um, what, what unfolded there. Yeah, I mean, you know... It, it, <laughs> What you saw early on in the game was the the Wolves really had a difficult time adjusting to the pace that the Lakers wanted to play at. And you saw Anthony Davis running fly patterns and LeBron throwing three-quarter outlets to him and he'd just beat everyone down the floor for dunks and layups. And, and I think that the Wolves just looked like they were stuck in mud a little bit. They couldn't get back. Um, very well and they were losing guys in transition and that's when LeBron is just so devastating and um, and so I think as they were scrambling defensively to try and keep up they lost sort of any real recognition or discipline for even when they got the Lakers into the half court and their responsibilities they were trying to overcompensate just to try and keep from from uh, allowing a layup line at the rim. And that's when LeBron, when he has you on their heat on your heels, he just feasts. And there was a you know moment, I think it was second quarter. Um, Gorgie Jang is, is out there. Um, he's the backup center for the wolves. And, um, and LeBron kind of just got going downhill as he is able to, and just exploded through over, and around Gorgie Jang and and threw down just a mammoth dunk. Yeah, I, and, I watched it about 15 times since you've been <laughs> talking, John. I have it in front of me. It's it's a half court set. It's a quick dribble left. Yeah. First step gets past him. Well, wait. What a I love about it is, that, 
No, 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 no. It's not. It's Is that not, not a, the one? No, no. I mean, I, there is only one dunk that that had you uh, falling on the floor. But LeBron baited him the way he does. Like LeBron has this thing where he's going to jack up a wild ass three. He'll, you know, sometimes he'll spin the ball yes. to himself. He'll he'll give himself plenty of room so then he could take one step back and uh, and shoot a you know a thirty footer or whatever. And he was set. He set Gorgie up for that. And then instead of pulling it back and shooting, he put the ball on the floor into his left hand, went into the middle, and right. then with his right hand turned turned his torso and, and dunked it on his face. Um, you know, th- this is going to sound super white, but like you call that either a boom, as in he boomed him, or, um, which again I should Very not be white. talking about this, or, uh, you're or such uh, a like, uh, like a body bag. We we talk about that as well. I just I, I the the worst dunk I ever saw LeBron on anyone was in Portland and I can't remember the year um, but it was he did it to Nurkic and it was the the raw power and athleticism and just shame brought upon poor Nurkic to be dunked (laughs) on like that I I had never seen that live and now LeBron I mean he's going to be 35 at the end of this month for him to still be able to do that to to guys is incredible John are you you learning about the the dynamics here on the tampering pod if if I don't properly describe a LeBron James dunk with the proper amount of detail and enthusiasm. You, be called you, know, on the carpet. Who, you know who yeah. chimes in. I'm sorry, Joe. I didn't, I didn't do it justice. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, yeah. that was an impassioned defense um, it was. Of, of a guy who doesn't ah, eat it. It was but, okay. Uh, I thought everybody um, overreacted. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know, what, what worked in that as much as anything is like LeBron last night was six for eight from three. And he had already hit a couple, and and so he's already got that going for him. And so when when that is falling, it just makes it even more impossible to guard him. But then he throws it down, and 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 all. I mean, I think Dave Benz and Jim Peterson, the local uh, the Timberwolves broadcasters, kind of said it at the time too. But what you think of is like, you know, damn, this guy's thirty five years old, and right. His knuckles are scraping the ceiling as he, you know, throws down this, you know, these massive dunks. It's, it's just, you know, it's uh, crazy too, guys. I, and again, I got the highlights in front of me. Um, it's, it's pretty surreal that on ESPN's YouTube channel, the highlight of LeBron, you know, whapping Dang is immediately followed by a highlight of Bronny James throwing down an alley oop. <laughs> like that's yeah. that's the calculus. That's the formula. One of these days, these dudes are going to be on the court together in a few years. Um, John, awesome stuff, man. I um, Like I said, we're going to get you out. Thank you for joining us. Uh, I was going to tell Joe, Joe, did you know that, you know, fun fact about John Krasinski that in Minnesota, when he is a radio star, has regular appearances on one of the stations out there, that his nickname on the air, he's not John Krasinski, he's Johnny Athletic. That's what they Isn't, call this man. I love that. Doesn't that just good, roll right? off? It just rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? It's yeah. just, it, I, it fits this wholesome in, image of, you know, 88-year-old <laughs> grandfather birthdays. And... It may be a misnomer, but uh, I'll, I'll take it. So. Johnny Athletic. I got to give a shout-out. I have a great friend out there. Brian Duncan lives in the Minnesota, Minneapolis area. Uh, era, area can't even talk. And he's always hitting me up about about what Johnny Athletic says. So I'm always, <laughs> I'm always hearing from that part of the country. Thank you, brother. Uh, great stuff as always. And keep up the good work. We'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, fellas. I'm sure you national folks will fly yourself into Minnesota anytime 
you know, it, this winter, it show, show some hardiness once, will you? Like, okay. show some backbone and, <laughs> and come here instead of Houston. Wait, first of all, he lives in or, Cleveland. Listen yeah, to this I know, guy. But yeah. he, he doesn't even go to. He doesn't. He doesn't even stay in Cleveland anymore. He might as well. <laughs> By the way, I was in LA. So, I think this is on. safe to share. I got a text from from uh, sturdy and and reliable and fantastic PR man uh, Aaron Seahusen from the T Wolves. When they were in, when your team was in LA, I, so it's like I think Aaron's given up on the idea of, of me getting on the plane going to Minneapolis anytime soon. <laughs> Will it you was at almost least like get like, your ass yeah. to LA. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. He goes, "You're you in LA this weekend?" I was like, oh, "I'm not." Sorry. All right, man. Appreciate you. Be good. Yep. Thanks, guys. Thanks, John. You got it. Good stuff, man. John's always great. Um, do you feel like? Or do, I don't know. Do, do you feel like? We've gotten to the point on this podcast where, like, it feel, I feel like you do the thanking when they when they leave, and I just kind of let them go. I don't know. Are I you mad like, about this? No, I, no, I, no. I'm not mad about it. I feel like maybe I'm being rude. I don't. I don't know. I just like. I don't know. I just. I, I think I need to maybe do I, a better job. That's fine. I, I can analyze myself. I, I think it's just like you know, West Coast time. It's nine thirty. <laughs> I got stuff to do. I got to go. You know, I'm, I'm I'm looking out a window at all the the possibilities the day might bring. I think it's just my way of, of getting the day going is so it, next time you can have them go out. No. Yeah. I mean, but it's like, I could, I could, I could chime in and say, yes, thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for joining us on this podcast. But I just sit here. <laughs> it's not good. Maybe you're not, maybe you're not appreciative. Maybe I you need so. to, maybe you're just got a bad guy. Yes. Bigger issues, bigger issues. Yeah. And you called him a little man with a little vest, Joe. <laughs> oh, that was off the air, Jade. <laughs> oh, was it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Welcome, welcome. This is Jade Hoy, the man who takes things off the air and puts them on the air. Puts them on. Yeah, there. yeah. Bring it on, Jade. All uh, right, Joe. I'll be seeing you uh, in Toronto. Yes. We didn't get into this, but Kawhi Leonard's got his big reunion game. Clippers playing at the Raptors. We'll have plenty to talk about next week. Uh, we always kind of highlight the road experience before we get out here. Um, I have a doozy of a trip going from Toronto to Dallas to Milwaukee. Not the most efficient geographically, but looking forward to it. Um, and and I think you, you're obviously doing Toronto. What else you got coming on the docket? Oh, I'm going to be, uh, you know, just kind of here and there. Uh, certainly be in Toronto. I'm going to be uh, checking in, you know, on a couple different teams as we as we go along. I, I keep hinting at about the secret little project that I'm working on. Hopefully we can get that done here in the near term. Um you know, the, my first thought. You'll be reading more first thoughts as we uh, as we come in th- between now and and the end of uh, the holiday season. So, I hope you guys like those. And if you haven't seen them yet, you should check them out. Very good. Thanks, brother. Talk to you next time. Thank you, Jade.